How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, the Outlaw Preacher, and here we are again at Christian Coffee Time, where we join together to study the Word of God. And here we are back at it again, working our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Alrighty, so if you could please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and come join us at the table, and to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now, uh, we're going to back up, start the chapter over again, as uh, we really focused on verse 3. And there's a point I want to bring out in this, really want to emphasize about uh, standing fast in the Lord, unmovable, always abounding in, in the word, in the faith. And uh, just so I just want to back up again to verse 1, and we'll go through this once more time. And again, folks, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. If it's not related to the topic at hand, if you could just hold that to the end of the study or to our next broadcast, that'd be great. As we want to try to limit our rabbit trailing somewhat. Alrighty, so we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Again, looking at the life of the church at Thessalonica, uh, how how they're holding fast standing fast how they're searching and studying and being faithful to the word of god and uh they are such an encouragement to the apostle paul and to all the churches round about there's just so much that they're doing and uh, paul is talking to them about and there's so much for us to learn from them as an example is there an example an inspiration to us and we see how they just they don't care about what other people say or think they all they care about is the gospel of Jesus Christ their whole focus is that and they don't hold to the traditions of any man but they hold to the traditions of Christ so there's so much in this that, that uh, we can learn from <clears throat> so I hope that this study has been a help and a blessing to you I hope there's been an encouragement to you if you're just joining in please make sure to check out our previous videos here on this study of first Thessalonians especially on chapter 1 there's a, a few great powerful points made in in that chapter that uh, you need to be aware of okay so <clears throat> grab your tea grab your coffee your snacks whatever it is you haven't come join us at the table turn to first Thessalonians chapter 3 time to study the Word of God okay and fyi folks uh, just want to make sure you know you're aware um this friday i will not be here uh we're going away on friday <clears throat> and uh but uh, what i'll be doing is a bible study tomorrow thursday normally i take thursdays off from broadcasting but i will do a bible study tomorrow thursday uh, because i won't be here friday so just want to make sure you're aware of that make sure you know that um and if you could please be praying for travel safety for us on that day that would uh, be greatly appreciated Alrighty, <clears throat> let's get going here camera everything's working right okay <laughs> all right first thessalonians chapter three verse one Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. 
August, a few things we could just start here. <clears throat> Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear without a good to be left to Athens alone and sent to Motheus, uh, that we couldn't uh, keep away from you, we had to send to you, we had to reach out to you, we had to be involved with you, because as you back up in the context, we see it's talking about how everywhere is hearing about the Thessalonians. Uh, that they are influencing everywhere, all the churches, all the region roundabout, and uh, we just we had to get to you, we had to get back to you, to talk to you, to encourage you, to speak to you, to hear from you. This is what he's talking about. We uh, we 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 ourselves couldn't go; we were busy here in Athens, but we sent Timothy to to go and help you. Now look at this, verse two. He said, Timotheus our brother and minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Our brother and minister of God, a minister of the Lord and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Now, there's a lot of people say, well, I'm not called to be a minister and I'm not called to preach and all that kind of thing. Okay, you need to understand this. If you... There's a few differences in preaching that people aren't aware of. Yes, preachers, uh, we see like pastors, for example, uh, they, they use this word as synonymous with pastor. But to preach means to proclaim, to proliferate, to declare, uh, to tell others about. Like you see street preachers and the uh, witnesses and evangelists and missionaries, all this stuff. They are proclaiming, declaring the word of God, preaching the word of God. That's what this is. You don't have to be a pastor, a bishop to uh, to preach. You can do Bible studies, all this kind of thing, and you can teach, preach there. Now, preaching is declaring the word of God. Teaching is something else. This is what the pastors do. And we see teaching is a whole separate thing ball of wax altogether we're not going to get to that right now but we see minister of god and fellow laborer now you may not be called to be a preacher may not be called to be a missionary or pastor this kind of thing but that doesn't mean you don't help or you can't help fellow laborers in the gospel of christ there's many uh, different kinds of things you could do now the one uh, the one fellow kent hovind he has a great saying is if you, if you can't shoot, at least carry bullets. As you see in a, in the army, in the, in the battlefield, this kind of thing, you may not be the gunner, the guy there, but at least you can carry the stuff and help out the guys that are on the front line. So it's a sim similar in this, the, the, the folks that are on the front line serving the Lord, preaching and teaching, witnessing and evangelism, missionary work, all this kind of stuff that, that, are, that are witnessing and uh, ministering the word of God, you can assist them, help them, support them in prayer and, and everything else. Uh, we see there's so much that you can do. We see uh, su uh, supporting missionaries, uh, uh, prayerfully and fellowship and financially and all the rest of that, as well as uh, other works. There's many things you could do. Uh, you may not be uh, a great speaker to be an evangelist but you can hand out gospel tracts there's so many things that you can do you in a, a church fellowship in a group you may not be the teacher the preacher whatever else but you can guide them you lead the music 
You can even set out the chairs, set out the hymn books, get all the place ready, sweep up the floor, be a door greeter. There's so many things that you can do. And we see the point here as well as in fellow laborers, you labor in the faith in whatever capacity means that you are able. Now you can, even if there's nothing you can really do, is even just show up. Show up. Show up and be, be one, of, one of those that are there. That the very fact that you join in and you are there, this is helping and assisting. This is an encouragement to see see others even coming out. <clears throat> like you may have seen the recent post I put up. It shows uh, Black Friday, Thanksgiving, and you see the uh, sports events, how there's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people at every of these events. Then it shows Sunday. It's just a smattering of a couple of people. It just really goes to show uh, the hearts of people these days uh, where people care so much about what goes on around about that they are shirking their duty of gathering for the fellowship of the saints. So the word of God says uh, that uh, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but more and more to see the day approaching. Gathering together to be a part of the thing, even if, even if it's not much for you to do in the gathering, the very fact that you show up is so important. Just something to keep in mind. And our fellow laborers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we also see here, laboring in the gospel. Now, if you're into underlining, highlighting, marking your Bible, you could do so there in verse 2, fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Now, emphasis on this is laboring in the gospel. Not laboring in traditions, laboring in self-works, laboring in righteous works, laboring in law-keeping, laboring in whatever else. It's laboring in the gospel of salvation. This is, uh, this is what the Thessalonians were well known for. This is what they did. They labored in the gospel. And Timothy, as well, are their fellow laborer in the gospel. Now, how do you labor in the gospel? How do you labor in the gospel itself? Could someone give me uh, an idea in the comments there? Can you give me an idea? What are some examples of how can you labor in the gospel itself? Specifically. You think about laboring and other things that we, we can wind up doing, but how, how do you labor in the gospel? This is something to consider. This is where your own mind and sanctified imagination will actually explore this. What are means of this? Uh, Abby says, by studying it. Yes, exactly. How can you labor in something if you're not educated about it first? So you see laboring in, laboring in the what's called the theory. See, there's theory and the practical. Theory is the study, the knowledge, the wisdom of the, 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 the mental aspect. Then the practical is the hands-on. The hands-on and actually putting it into practice. So we see there's laboring in the understanding, the knowledge, the enlightenment of the doctrines, all the aspects and nuances of it, and then you put it into practice. So it starts with by studying it. Exactly, Abby. And so we study it, 
and not just study it, memorization. Memorization. You want to memorize the different aspects, the details, the doctrines, the nuances regarding it. About the person of Christ, who he is, what he is, what he came to do. You want to study about the cross, the burial, the resurrection, the shedding of the blood, grace, faith, all these things. All the aspects that in and of themselves are salvationary. So you want to understand what is salvationary and what is not. What is not. Like, for example, self-works. Self-works, the things that I have to do, whatever, righteous works. It's not of yourselves. It's the boast of God, not the boast of man. So we see what is and is not salvationary in and of itself. So you see, studying it, memorizing it, memorization is such a key factor in all of this. And then once you understand all of this, now go. Tell them. Share it. Now go. See, there's laboring in the theory, laboring in the study, then laboring in the actual works of it. Now carry it out, tell others, share it with others, witnessing and the track distribution and all of this kind of thing. Um, what One of the things I've actually mentioned that uh, some uh, families have actually done with their kids is uh, go out on the sidewalk and with some sidewalk chalk and you and the kids write on the sidewalk gospel verses. So people are walking down the sidewalk, they see the verses in the sidewalk chalk written on there, and they wind up reading it. Just an idea, something fun. You can draw the crosses, whatever else, and have the kids. It's a great fun for the kids too, is to get them involved. Uh, laboring as well in teaching, teaching family, teaching the children, teaching others, and. Just find ways that you can get the gospel of Jesus Christ out there. But the laboring is that that consistent diligence. The consistent diligence. Staying at it, working at it day in, day out, night and day. This is your full-time focus. This is what you're all about. This is what your life is all about. So laboring in. All right. So Timothy, Timotheus our brother and minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you. So they sent Timothy to help establish. That means to set in, uh, to uh, to fix, make as a fixed point. So to really ground them in this, to establish you and comfort you concerning your faith. It, we're sending Timothy to you to just to harden you that much more in this work that you are doing what you're all about to him to to strengthen you that much more and to comfort you because as we talked about how they're under great affliction the church of Thessalonians is under great great affliction and hatred by others and persecution and so they so Timothy's coming to encourage them to strengthen them to cheer them up to help them to see that this is just what happens and this is how you deal with it this is how you deal with it so to establish and comfort there's are other ways to uh to be a fellow laborer is you as you're part of a church you're part of a group and you may not be a preacher you may not be an evangelist you may not really be a teacher in all this but what can you do you can encourage you can be an encouragement uh, to to be there to to, to lift up and to 
help re rejoice with, to cheer up, just to be there to be a happy, glad-hearted, joyful member of the body. This helps establish and comfort others. You're a comfort to be around because you're so cheerful, you're helpful, you, uh, the insight and your willingness to, to be a part of this, to pray and all, and all this, to fight with, to pray with, to, to just to sit with. These are all things that we can do to establish you and comfort you concerning your faith. So in this, we see that you have no excuse. <laughs> you have no excuse. You're part of the body. Get involved. Get involved. Get involved in some way, some form, somehow. Either you go to the back of the sanctuary there, straighten out the tracks, tidy up and clean up to help encourage, talk to others uh, to be an encouragement, pray with, do something. Now study, memorize, get, uh, get yourself uh, knowledgeable regarding the gospel. Hand out the gospel tracks. Say, well, I don't know what to say. You don't even have to say anything. Just hand the gospel tracks. And if you're if you're too scared to hand it to people, leave them around town, grocery stores, libraries, gas stations, where else? <laughs> the coffee shops. Leave the gospel tracks everywhere you go. Do something. Do something. There are no bench warmers, uh, bleacher sitters in the faith. We're all on the field, like the adage. We're all in this together. But we actually are all in this together in the born-again Christian faith, working together, laboring together as fellow laborers in the faith. We all have a part to play. We need to stop shirking our duties. We need to get busy. And how much more when we do this, when we are taking the faith seriously, actually wanting and desiring to be a part of it and all of this what what does that do to you personally in the faith level regarding your faith in your standing with christ what does this actually do verse three it makes you unmovable in the faith you're so grounded and rooted and strengthened in the faith as you're so close to the others, you're so close to the Lord and serving the Lord in prayer and fasting and fellowship and witnessing and encouragement and, and all the rest of this, that when troubles and trials and all these afflictions come along, it doesn't shake you. You know where to run. You know what to do. The sheep closest to the shepherd are the are the are the most fearless the sheep closest to the shepherd are the most fearless those that are way out on the sidelines off kind of wandering around they're following but from a distance and they're kind of wandering around and wolves come in they're paranoid and they're fearful and they're afraid and they're weak because they're so far from the shepherd and they have quite a distance to run to get to the shepherd when danger comes but if you're uh, up stuck right tight to the shepherd you don't really have to fear about much something to think about so we see verse 3 that no man should be moved by these afflictions the afflictions of the trials and tribulations that will come upon the believers by the world by the enemy by the flesh no man should be moved by these afflictions. Please see my previous video on 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, part 1.
as I talk about this in great detail about not being moved. And that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereto. We are appointed. Now, the Lord said the world will hate you because of me. So you don't take it personally. The only reason the world and all of this is hating upon you and fighting you is because of Christ within you. Because of your standing with Christ. You see, the devil, the enemy does not care one iota if you're religious. Oh, they might mock that a bit, but honestly, on a grander scale, they they don't really care if you're religious. They don't care you go to church. The world no less couldn't care less if you read your Bible. They couldn't care less if you call yourself a Christian. Well, so do Catholics and Mormons and all the rest of them. The world doesn't care if you call yourself Christian. The enemy does not care if, if you do these things. What the enemy cares about is that you put it into practice. You apply it to your life. You take it seriously. It's the moment you take the faith seriously is when all the hounds of hell come running out. All the alarm bells go off and the gates of hell open up and the enemy comes upon you like a flood is when you start taking the faith seriously. When you start actually fasting and praying like you actually mean it. When you start preaching and teaching and witnessing like you actually mean it. And you start uh, involving yourself in the faith like it's real. Then the enemy will come upon you like a flood. We're appointed to this. That this this is just how it is. This is just how it is. This is reality. We're appointed to this reality. That's what that means. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. So how can we keep ourselves from getting moved from being moved by taking the faith seriously? For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. Because the Thessalonians are talking about this and and about all the, the horrible things that they're having to suffer. Now, what kind of things are they suffering back then? Persecution, hate, being arrested, being imprisoned, being cast to wild beasts, being stoned to death, beheaded, all the rest of it. I mean, horrific, horrific, horrific persecutions. Okay. What what kind of persecutions do we get? What kind of persecution would you get at the grocery store? What kind of persecution would we get out in the street today? I yelled at. <laughs> Worst case, might get a soft drink thrown at you or something like that. Ooh. Uh, in many cases, you might just get cursed out, yelled at. Someone might scowl at you. That kind of thing. Someone might get angry. Some blue-haired person might get triggered. But in the grand scale, what's really our excuse? Now, there are places in the world where they are actually meeting severe, horrific persecution. And we must pray for them. 
pray for them to stand to continue to stand to press on that but we see even by this all this is coming along we were told that this was going to happen why are we so shocked when it does why are we so shocked when it does happen we think these things do come upon us for verily truly when we were with you we told you before that we should suffer persecution should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass and ye know so just as as he's reminding them that i told you before this would happen and it did and you knew that this would happen and all this but the fact of the matter is is you're standing fast you're standing fast verse 5 for this cause when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means a tempter have attempted you and our labor be in vain. As I heard that that you were under great, great persecution, tribulation. And I warned you about this, and I'm sending to hear to see, are you continuing to stand fast? I told you about this, that this would happen. I'm just checking in. I'm checking in. Are you standing fast? Now, this is something that we should do on a regular basis with one another. Every time we meet a fellow saint, encourage them to stand fast. Encourage them to stand fast. You know, that's I think that's one of the things these days that is severely forgotten about, shirked. In the churches and the gatherings is specifically encouraging one another in the faith to stand fast because we don't know what most saints are going through because we put on a a really really good hypocrite face when we go to be with the saints at church what i mean oh we all pretend everything's good we could be going through absolute purgatory in our lives regarding our job or family or friends or something else going on or personal issues, whatever. We are really, really good at pretending that everything's fine. We talk like it too. Whenever we're asked, whenever someone says, hey, how you doing? Oh, fine. We always say that. We always say that. We always behave in that way. We should be honest. We should be more honest and say, say, well, I could use prayer. I'm holding on, but I could use some encouragement. We need to be open. We need to stop pretending. We need to stop hiding. We need to be stop. We need to stop being so private about this. And we need to be open with the saints. We need to encourage one another and seek encouragement from one another. It's when we refuse to do that is when we become an island to ourselves and an army of one. The Bible says we're supposed to be fighting together, working together, laboring together, praying together, encouraging together. But we've become so used to independent faith. I don't need anyone else. Yes, you do. You think you don't, but you do. We need each other. We really need each other. We need each other for encouragement, for strengthening, for, for, for studying together, praying together, fellowshipping together, rejoicing together. We need to be as an actual family that talks. 
You see some of those families where they hardly talk with once one another. Um, they're off doing their own thing, and and some days can go by where they don't even speak to each other. That's how most churches are. And that's the death of the faith. That's one of the first steps to the downfall of a church, to the death of individuals' faith, when people don't talk, they don't fellowship, they don't involve everyone. Some are off on their own little cliques. They only talk to these couple people. These only talk to these couple people, and they don't mix. God says this is one of the things that I hate. Those that sow discord amongst the brethren, the sowing schisms and discord like this, that cliqueism, clanism within churches is disgusting, and it rips apart the faith. And if you're a part of that, you need to repent of that and get your, get yourself a, a, a part of the full body and stop with the cliques and the tribes within the church. That's sowing schism and discord. God hates that, and that will destroy the church. And that will be on your head, and you'll have to give an answer for that when you stand before the Lord. We need to be involved, shoulder to shoulder, standing together, helping each other, forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. As the Lord says, if you do not forgive one another, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you. And you're wondering why your prayers seem dead and you're struggling in this and it seems like the Lord's not listening. It's because you're not listening. You're not, you're not repenting. You're not forgiving. And you're holding grudges. You need to get over yourself. We, we frankly need to get over ourselves and to start taking the faith seriously and stop being prideful and haughty and, and ignorant and disregarding and shirking we, we, and apathetic. We need to take the faith seriously and involve everyone together as a family in Christ. We're going to be living together for a very long time. We better start getting used to each other now. Verily we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Our labor be in vain. This is not talking about salvation, and you lost salvation, fell away from salvation. You can't lose your salvation. But you can lose your faith. Where you grow so weak and you're so shaken in the faith that you fall away you're you are saved but you're you're too scared you're too stressed you're too depressed or something's come on and come upon and you've walked away from the fellowship of the church you know those people what so and so offended me now i'm not going to go to church anymore i got church hurt now i'm not going to have anything to do okay that's like saying someone at the gym offended you so you're not going to work out ever again that that logic is kind of dumb. Church isn't a place where those go who are perfect. You go there to be perfected. Everyone who goes to church has problems and issues and stuff that they're learning. And we need to frankly get over ourselves and stop being so easily offended and triggered. Take the faith seriously. Grow up. Is what we see throughout the scriptures here lest our labor be in vain. The labor of our faith, how, look how far we've come, look how much we've accomplished, how, uh, uh, and uh, look at our, the, the depth of our, fa our faith. You want to throw that all away? Why would you want to take that for granted? Why would you want to become apathetic to this? 
Do you remember how excited you were about the faith and about Christ in the day you got saved? Remember that. Seek that. Pursue that every day. That excitement of faith. When you're excited about the gospel, excited about Jesus Christ, excited about the faith, you can't be moved. You can't be moved. You seek that excitement of the faith. The born-again Christian faith is not some long-faced, horse-faced, dry, wizened-up kind of religion. It's not about the do's and do-nots. It's not about the buildings. It's about the gathering of born-again Christians of, of like faith to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Why would that become dry to you? If that is dry to you, there's something wrong with you. The, 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 the less you pray, the less you want to pray. The less you read the Bible, the less you want to read the Bible. The less you participate, the less you want to participate. There's a billion, billion excuses why you shouldn't be involved. But again, that's all they are, is just excuses. An excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. People don't do things because they just don't want to. They just don't want to. And you can't preach conviction, unfortunately. All you can do is warn them. But people don't do things as they just don't want to. So that's what it comes down to. A want. A want to fellowship. Want to pray. Want to read. Want to study. Want to participate. Want to witness. Why do you not want to? The only reason people don't want to is because they're ignorant about the seriousness of the faith. They don't understand how much of a serious, serious issue this is. That hell is real. Did you know that holding your face over hell for five minutes, it will make you a better preacher and evangelist than any Bible school will? Well, how do I do that? Study the doctrine of hell. Take your Bible and study the wrath of God and the doctrine of hell. And pray and ask the Spirit of God to give you dreams and visions of hell. Smell the smoke, feel the heat, and hear the screams. That will turn you into a better evangelist and a preacher than anything else will. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the faith is as serious as hell. The doctrine of hell and what it's about and where the sinners go and the wrath of God, the condemnation of sin, that's what's behind our backs. That heat is, is on our backs while, while we preach to the masses and witness to the lost and encourage the saints to stand as the floods of sinners are coming to, to pour over the, over the precipice, over the, the cliff edge and to plunge into hell. And we're there laboring, laboring, trying to save at least one. We gather to worship the Lord God that saved us from that. That's what Christ saved you from. That's what, that's what his work, his crucifixion, his death, burial, resurrection was for. He labored in all the pain and the agony and the torture and the crucifixion and all of this. He suffered all of this to save you from hell. The least you can do is to take the faith seriously. Would you not agree? That's a good trade. Would you not agree that's a good trade? Something to consider. 
And in this, we see that that when the sinners mock us, ignore it. That's no reason to leave your post. All because someone hates what you're saying, that does that that gives that's no excuse for throwing in the towel. All because some other saint is having a bad day and they're being rude or whatever else, and then maybe someone doesn't like you, that, that that's no excuse to give up the faith. To walk away from church. But that, I dare say, is the logic of many a Christian. And that's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. Well, the preacher said something I disagree with. Well, maybe the preacher knows something you don't. You know, they're appointed and ordained as a preacher by God. And the Spirit of God is teaching them and showing them in the Word of God. And you think you know better. Well, why don't you actually sit down with the preacher and actually talk about this, explore the scriptures, and to see what's actually going on instead of just getting mad and having a roast preacher for dinner. Just something to think about. Lest our labor be in vain. The labor of the preacher, the, the, the labor of other saints, your labor that you poured in, you're just going to cast it all away or grow cold to it or something else. The labor of the faith, the labor of the gospel can become in vain to a saint when they become discouraged. By some means, somehow, some form, they become discouraged. How do we fight back against discouragement? How do we fight back against discouragement? You see, there is something that we need to be a part of, and that is the seriousness of the faith. Well, yes, as JD says here, unless the preacher is preaching Lordship Salvation or something. But even in this, instead of just running away, we should at least talk about this. Try to reach out to them. If someone is in error, what does the Word of God say? We are to go to them. And we are to speak to them. And if they refuse to listen, okay, at least you've done your part. Your hands are clean. A lot of people, just something comes up they don't like, they run. Instead of talking about this. It's so important that, that Christians talk. Christians fellowship. Christians try to, to figure out how to get past the issue that Christians encourage one another all this instead of just abandoning one another the moment something comes up we don't like if, if the other person refuses to listen refuses to change refuses to repent refuses to forgive or whatever else that's on them at least we've done our part we've taken the faith seriously even if they haven't we will study the Bibles if they won't we will witness and evangelize if no one else will join us. If no one else will come with me, then I'll be an, I'll be an army of one if I absolutely have to. This is what he's getting at by verse 5. This is what he's getting at in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 5. For this, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your fate, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Don't let the labor be in vain in your life. Don't let it be in vain. Let nothing shake you. Let nothing move you. 
you know what the gospel is you know what the faith is you know what the word of god says let nothing move you from this now the catechism creed commentary opinion of man or any other thing tradition or orthodoxy of opinions or whatever else let nothing move you from the simplicity of salvation by grace in the lord god jesus christ what the word of god flat out says let nothing move you from the faith be strengthened and rooted and grounded, encouraged, stand fast in the faith wherein Christ has made us free. Christ has made us free. Verse 6. But now when Timotheus came, came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distresses by your faith. Now look at this. Look at this. I said to hear from you, lest our labor be in vain, because I heard how you were greatly afflicted, and we needed to know how you were how you're handling it all. And we heard from you that you are standing fast. And, and uh, the good tidings of your faith and charity. They're working so much in, in the faith and in the field and helping the poor and the sick and the needy, reaching out and supporting others. And they're just, they're such powerhouses in the, in the faith. They're such powerhouses in the faith. And that you have good remembrance of us always. What does that mean? You're remembering all of our work and that you're praying for us and you're encouraging us as well. Now, how, how much to, to what degree? Look at this. And they have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction. That here, just hearing about how well you were doing, that was a comfort and encouragement to us, even in our affliction. The things that we were going through. What kind of things was Paul going through? Death. Multiple times. That thrice was I was I uh, beaten with stripes. That forty stripes saved one. Three times this happened to him, where they whipped him because forty stripes with the with the whip would kill a man. So they would they would only whip you thirty nine times. But that's happened to him three times. Thrice was I beaten with rods. That multiple times he suffered shipwreck. He drowned in the sea. He was stoned. He was thrown to wild beasts, meaning eaten by wild animals, and the Lord resurrected him. Killed by wild animals. And he suffered all kinds of these things, all these horrible, horrible afflictions in deaths often. But just hearing about how you're standing in the faith encouraged us. It was a comfort to us. A comfort to know that um, that what I'm doing is not in vain. It's a comfort to know that in all our all our work and trial, that it's making a difference. That there are some that are taking it seriously. Because when you look at it, how many of the churches that Paul established actually continued on? And didn't get didn't wind up getting all corrupted. Ah, uh, you look at the Church of Corinth, not doing so well. Look at the Church of Galatia, not doing so well. And many of the others are, are really starting to fall apart. 
by by heresies, uh, by persecution, by worldliness, and all kinds of other stuff. The Judaizers come in, drag them, uh, the, the saints into uh, crazy legalistic law-keeping and all the rest of this. All, all the churches just falling apart around them, but then there's this one uh, gleaming hope. As the church of the Thessalonians was an encouragement to Paul, encouraged them, comforted them over all their affliction and distresses. Because there's one, these ones here are holding fast to the faith. They're holding fast to the faith. Verse 8 For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. Now, what does he mean by live? If we, we will live. The faith will continue on. The faith will continue on. The faith will live in you and will be able to be passed on by you if you stand fast. To stand fast in the Lord, the faith will stand. It will spread. Revival takes off. Standing fast in the Lord, in the power of His might, not mine. As there are some, like the Lordship Salvationist preachers, who preach that it's all about you. It's all about you. You have to persevere to the end. You have to keep to the end and all this. And it's all about you, focused on you, your work, your effort, your merit, your virtue, your righteousness. All about you, your holiness, your sinlessness. All the, It's all about you. It's so self-focused. They say, no, it's about Christ, about putting Christ Lord. Yeah, you make Christ Lord of your life. No, you don't make him Lord. He is Lord. You are saved. You are sanctified, justified, consecrated. You are held. You are holy. He made you holy. He made you uh, all this. You have his favor. It's not an earned anything. It's not final salvation. That's heresy. You are saved. That he is Lord. You don't have to make him anything. He is Lord. And you stand fast in this, wherein Christ has made us free. He's made us free. Free from condemnation. Free from judgment. Free from, from the wrath. Free from all of this. He made us more than conquerors. Look what he's forgiven us for. Look, look how he's holding us. Look how he'll be with us always. You look to the hope, the promises, the work the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at the others. Stop looking at the hounds of hell. Stop looking at the persecutions and the trials, tribulations. There's no excuse. The Lord said, forsake all. Stop looking at it. Stop caring about it. Cast your care upon me. Fear not, worry not, doubt not, fret not, be anxious for nothing. Sorrow not like those who have no hope. We are without excuse. This is what the Thessalonians understood. They understood how to stand fast. They understood how to stand fast. You look at the example of the Apostle Paul. Look at his example. He was literally being led up the hill to have his head chopped off. What did he say? I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. 
But even in all of the things that you went through, Paul, how the churches turned against you, they even denied that you were even an apostle, that all the, all the Judaizers hounded upon you, how, they, how you were stoned to death, you were thrown to wild beasts, you were beaten with rods, beaten with whips, you were drowned in the sea, and, and deaths often, and all the persecutions, and, and being hounded, and, and, and arrested, and imprisoned, all the rest of it. You didn't let anything discourage you from the faith. No, why would I? Jesus Christ is Lord. And he is greater than all of my afflictions. The faith is more important than my feelings. The faith is more important than what I think, what I feel. The faith is more important than what other people think of me. If they want to think I'm a fool, if they want to think I'm an idiot, they want to call me names and curse me out, let them. I know that this is right, and I know they're wrong. I don't care what the government say. I don't care what society says. I don't care what the angry, crusty, uh, old crone in the back of the church has to say. All because they're, they're discouraged doesn't mean I should be. I know what the faith is, and I'm not going to let anything discourage me from my joy in the Lord God, Jesus Christ. He is Lord. He is King. He's the Redeemer. He's my Savior. He's my Father. He's my friend, and He's closer than a brother. He's with me always. He'll never forsake me, never leave me. He'll never let me go. He'll never cast me out of His hand. I'm sealed. I'm appointed a, a position in the house of Jesus Christ, and I have all to joy and rejoice in, and there's nothing of this world, nothing of this life that will stop me. I I've kept the faith. That's what the Thessalonians understood. That's why Paul was encouraged and comforted by them in all of his afflictions. Because the greatest of preachers are still just men. Did you know that Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, as he's called, the great Charles Spurgeon, was regularly, regularly stricken with severe depression? I'd like you to think about that one for a moment. Charles Spurgeon was regularly struck with severe depression. But did he let that stop him? No. How did he keep going then? How did he keep going? Right up until his death, he kept going. That's because every time he would throw himself that much more into the rejoicing of Jesus Christ. Read his stuff. Read his messages. He talks all about the joy of Christ, the power of Christ, the gospel, and the holiness of Christ. He, he focused so much on Jesus Christ, even though everything kept going bad for him. He wouldn't believe the kinds of things that other preachers said about him. They Oh, they had such vile, vile things to say about Charles Spurgeon. And it would get to him. But he would keep going. He would keep going. The same with the Apostle Paul. Read Romans 7. You get a little bit of insight in the mind of Paul. I know we've gone over this a billion times, but it, that, that's the thing. Is Romans 7 gives us an insight onto, into the human mind of Paul. Racked with 
heaviness and bemoanings and fears and depression about himself. But what would he do? He would drown it out. It wouldn't go away, but it would be drowned out by the praise of Christ, by the preaching of Christ, by focusing on Christ. But what happens when we start listening to ourselves, focusing to ourselves, faith dies. You stop witnessing, you stop evangelizing, you start fearing men more than God. You stop going to church, you stop reading your Bible, you stop praying. You stop fellowshipping, you stop encouraging because how can you encourage others when you're not encouraged? You stop being a fellow laborer in the faith. And pretty soon, you abandon the faith. Because that's the next step. That's the next step. When, when you abandon the focus of Christ, it's a downward spiral and it's just, it's, it's going to come. It will happen. You will abandon the faith. And I personally have seen this happen way more than I care to. I've seen this happen with so many people. They were powerhouses of the faith. They witnessed and evangelized and they encouraged and they prayed and they worked and they labored. And guess what? They got discouraged about something and it got in their head. And no matter what you could say, it wouldn't turn them around. And guess what? They're gone. They threw in the towel. They quit. They're done. That's how the devil works. All the enemy has to do, whether whether spirit or flesh, person or self, it doesn't matter. All, all that has to happen is some issue, some problem, some trial, some struggle, some discouragement, some depression, something just has to get in your head and you and all you gotta do is start focusing on it. Start listening to it. Start listening to it more than the word of God. Start listening to it then more than the encouragement of the saints. Start listening to it more than you do the Lord. And you will, you will, you will abandon the faith pastors retire quit because of the discouragement evangelists throw in the towel missionaries quit the field saints give up the faith because so-and-so didn't like this this person wouldn't stop these couple these people over here wouldn't leave me alone because well well i just don't feel appreciated And did you suffer worse than Paul? Did you suffer worse than the Apostle Paul? What's your excuse? Paul didn't quit. Well, he was an apostle. He was just a man. He was a man that was given a lot of responsibility. That's all. He was a man that was called to a high uh, office with lots of responsibility, but he was just a man. He was still a sinner saved by grace. He was no different than you or I. But he left us an example. What's your excuse? Look at Job. Are you, are you suffering worse than Job? Was your house destroyed? Your family, your family taken away? And, and everything just destroyed and everything stolen? And even your health? You're sitting in a pile of ashes, dressed in sackcloth, scraping boils with a piece of a broken pot? Are, are you worse than Job? What's your excuse? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage, self, and sin. 
There's no excuse. There's no reason to throw in the towel. There's no reason whatsoever under heaven why we should ever throw in the towel. There's nothing that the devils could do that would justify abandoning the seriousness of the faith. There's no reason whatsoever. Look what the Lord has done, what he, is, what he has accomplished, what he is accomplishing, what he is doing, and what he's going to do. We are without excuse. Stand fast in the Lord. Do you know what that means, to stand fast? What that means, what that symbolizes, the picture there. To stand fast. This is a, a military term. This is a military term. Because this is what, what, what the soldiers would do on the battlefield. They would line up shoulder to shoulder, interlocking their shields with their swords and their spears up and they're ready to fight. Now, Hollywood always gets this wrong. This is actually one of my pet peeves whenever I see this in films. It, it, they never show this right. They always show the, shoulder, the soldiers when they're about to fight. They all kind of separate and they're off and they're fighting. No, 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 they don't do that. They stand shoulder to shoulder and they don't move. And they, and they step together. One step. One step. And they keep pushing forward together as a wall. They don't break apart and fight. But anyways, the, the thing I want to get to is about standing fast is their foot placement. They brace themselves. Their feet aren't close together. The feet are separated. They're bladed. And one foot is way back. One foot's up front. And their knees are, knees are cracked just a bit. And they're crushed just slightly. Ready to take the brunt force of an attack. Now what they do is they stomp the ground with their heels. And they create divots in the ground that they can lock their feet in place so they can't move. So they actually have something to push against. So it's not just smooth ground. They actually create a dent in the ground that they can push against. And every step, they stomp, create new divots so that they can't move. That's standing fast. Is you brace yourself and you root yourself, you ground yourself so you can't be moved. Though when the hounds of hell, the temptations, the trials, the afflictions come and they ram into your shield, it's not going to knock you off balance. But also in this is the timing of just as, they, as they're about to crash into your shield, you push against it. You ram back and you push forward. You hit it back. How do you hit the trials and tribulations, the afflictions and depressions and all these things back? How do you hit back? When the devils say you're useless, it's pointless, it's valueless, that, that, that you're achieving nothing, you're you're doing nothing, that you're it's it's no good, that people don't like you, you're inadequate. All of the thoughts, all of the things, so and so doesn't like you, this happened, this happened, all this comes in, what do you do? You ground yourself in the word of God, what it says, and you hit back. As it says in Jeremiah, is not my word as a fire and like a hammer that breaks the stone to pieces. It's a hammer. It's a war hammer. It's a war hammer. It bellows the fire of God. It hits like a war hammer and it cuts asunder sharper than any two-edged sword. The Lord says... 
But the Lord says, but the Lord says, Jesus Christ says, the word of God says, scripture says, the faith says this. I don't care what that says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You billow the fire of the passion of the Holy Ghost in your recitation of the promises and the hope of Jesus Christ. You stand fast in the liberty of Christ and you do not become entangled in the nets and the snares and, and all of the, 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 the planted traps of the enemy. Your faith will live if you stand fast. Stand fast. We're almost there. The battle's almost done. We're just mopping up the place. It's just a little bit further to go. The battle's already won. The enemy's already routed at the cross. We already have the victory. I've read the back of the book and we win. We're without excuse. We see the hope. It's before us. There's the new Jerusalem. There's the temple. There's our God. He's raised the banner. He says, just hold fast. Hold fast. The world's getting wicked, more wicked. The enemy's getting hotter. We're getting closer to the heat of hell because we're closer to the end. The enemy's starting to panic. The enemy's starting to fight really hard now. The dragon's bellowing the fire. But we are without excuse. Stand fast. Stand fast. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Fight the good fight. Stand fast. Be still and know that I am God. That in your fighting, in your warring, and you're pressing forward to the mark, to the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, you, you be still. You're still in spirit. Your mind and your spirit is still. And the promises of God, unshakable, unmoving, as we hide ourselves in the cleft of the rock that is higher than I. The promises of God. The promises of Christ that he will meet the need. He fights the good fight. He's the, he's with us in this. He gives us the strength to stand. He confirms the weak ankles. He strengthens the feeble knees. He lifts up the hands that hang down. He gives us the voice with which to cry out like a trumpet. He teaches us the words with which to say. He causes us to be in remembrance of everything. And he teaches us how to pray. We are without excuse. So stand fast. Stand fast. Stand fast. Verse 9, For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. The joy of the faith. How joyful and encouraging it is to see another saint continue on in the Lord and fighting against the trials and the afflictions and temptations and all these things that come in. And seeing them stay in the joy causes us to joy. When you hear the testimonies of the saints, of the afflictions and the trials or whatever else, even their, their salvation testimony, uh, hearing about the power of God, the power of Christ and keeping his promises and his salvation, it rejoices us. And we sing the hymns, the spiritual songs and the psalms of the Lord and his power and his might, his promises to keep and to hold and all of this and to encourage. It strengthens us and it joys us. 
but the inverse is also true. What happens when we stop looking at these things and we start listening to the degradation of the world, the depravity and the debauchery of the world, the sin and the wickedness and the foulness and the lies and, and all, all of the horrible, wicked, sinful, fornic fornication, Sodom and Gomorrah that goes on around us, the continuous sin, we keep, keep looking at that. We keep looking at that. We keep reading it. We keep listening. We keep talking. We keep thinking about that. What's it going to do to your faith? What's that going to do to your faith? Someone tell me in the comments. What's that going to do to your faith? You just keep focusing, keep listening, you keep hearing, you keep talking, you keep thinking, you keep dwelling on all of the garbage of this world, the sin and the wickedness of this world, freaking out about the governments, freaking out about society, freaking out about everything else. It constantly, constantly, what's that going to do to your faith? What's it going to do? Exactly. Kimba here says it's going to kill it. Exactly. Are you going to be able to stand fast in the Lord if you're so focused on the filth and the depravity and the debauchery and the wickedness of this world? Can you stand fast in the Lord if that's all you talk about, all you post about, all you think about, all you focus on, all you see, all you hear? You have to be involved in all of that garbage. Can you stand fast in the Lord? You can't stand fast in the Lord and be involved with that. We have a job to do, we have a fight to fight, we have a faith to keep, we have a work to do, we have a labor, labor to hold, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what happens, now, I'm, now correct me if I'm wrong, but I challenge you to prove me wrong in this, that when you get so focused on all this filth and garbage and the and stuff going on in this world, guess what happens? Every time. The gospel gets pushed to the back burner. You hardly ever witness. You hardly ever take the faith seriously. You hardly pray. You hardly fast. You hardly read your Bible. And, and if you do, it's always, always focused on all of this depravity and debauchery and garbage and filth. And you hardly ever witness, hardly ever evangelize. And the gospel itself gets pushed to the back burner. Every time. Without fail. I've seen this happen more and more and more frequently. Let the heathen rage. Let them rage. Let the kings gather themselves together against the Lord and his anointed and let them rave on. Let them freak out. Let them rage. Let the heathen rage. We have something to shout about and that's the gospel of jesus christ let our war cry be the gospel of jesus christ in the praises of the king of kings hell and salvation are more important than societal's issues they're the political issues and the political sphere and all the rest of this seeing souls saved is more important than freaking out about what the public education system is teaching. Because what's going to fix that? 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's going to fix atheism? The gospel of Jesus Christ. What's going to fix the corruption and the lies of the White House and Parliament? The gospel of Jesus Christ. What's going to fix everything else that goes on? The gospel of Jesus Christ. If saints would learn to stand fast in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I dare say we would see an awful lot more revivals. Just saying. Otherwise, as Abby says here, fear will take over. Fear kills faith. Unless it's the fear of the Lord. Fear kills faith unless it's the fear of the Lord. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. What can we pray pray for? What? How can we help you out? How can we be a part of this? How can we get, make sure that you keep on going? What can we do to help you? We're praying night and day. Praying exceedingly for you. That you hold fast. There you go. One preacher put it this way. Something to think about. You know. If you actually do a study. On the old revivals. The great powerful revivals that, that occurred back, back when. You notice there is something different. That, no, that a number of times the people would actually get together and they would pray throughout the night. They would all take turns and they would pray 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 and they would pray. And, pray. and revivals would just explode. Some of the great preachers like D.L. Moody, Spurgeon and Mueller and them some of these powerful preachers, you would hear of hundreds and sometimes thousands of people getting saved, revival spreading, because while the preacher was preaching, many of the saints were off in another room, and would, the, the saints would be praying for the preacher and the congregation, for people to be saved. They would pray the whole length of the service. Nowadays, Saints can hardly pray for five minutes. The sermons, the messages, the preaching would go on for hours and hours and hours. Go back to the early church. They would hold Bible studies through the rest of the day and all night until the uh, to break of morning. And this is regular. I mean, this is how it used to be. They, they would study the scriptures for hours and pray and worship for hours. Now we can hardly do it for 30 minutes. Hardly sit down for 30 minutes. People used to study their Bibles for hours on end. Now we can hardly do it for 10 minutes because we're too busy. So what can we do? Can we make a difference? Yes. Can one person make a difference? Yes. 100%. Absolutely. Without question. All it takes is for one person to start taking the faith seriously and revival breaks. Revival starts in the heart of the one who's praying for it. So where you are, what you're doing, what about you? 
being the example and show the saints how to stand fast. You be the encourager. You be the comforter in your fellowship, in your circles. You be the one who reaches out and encourages the saints to stand fast and keep the faith, to equip themselves to be strong. You be the one that goes out and shows them how, by example, of prayer and faith and fellowship and encouragement and joy. You take the faith seriously. Draft others into your squad as you go out and you fight the good fight you stand with them shoulder to shoulder show them how to stand fast show them how to root themselves show them how to hold the shield of faith show them how to use the sword of the word of god show them how to call upon the lord show them how to have faith this is what the thessalonians did this is what paul did this is what the bereans did this is what Timothy did. This is what the early church did. Let us not be the ones that drop the torch. Let us not be the ones that drop the banner. If others want to, that's their problem. I'm going to keep the faith. I don't care what comes. I don't care what's before me. There is nothing, nothing that hell could throw at me that could justify my abandoning the faith. Would you not agree? Would you personally not agree with that in your own life? There's nothing that this world or hell could possibly throw at me that could justify my abandoning the faith. But what can we do? Pray exceedingly. Pray exceedingly. Spend more time in prayer more time in fellowship more time in studying the word of god more time in taking the faith seriously more time in intimacy with the lord that in everything that we do even in eating and drinking dwell to the glory of god praising the lord day in day out night and day praying for the saints praying for the faith praying for the churches praying for the works praying for the ministries praying for each other encouraging one another to stand fast to root themselves night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face. Praying that you also get to fellowship. You don't have to fellowship. You get to fellowship. You don't have to read your Bible. You get to read your Bible. You don't have to pray. You get to pray. You don't have to keep the faith. You get to keep the faith. You get to. And we should be rejoicing in that. Would you not agree? Praying exceedingly to be able to, to meet other saints, to keep the faith. And also we see that we might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. That if you see something in another Christian's life where they're suffering, they're struggling, and they need help with, you take up one, each other's burdens. You take up each other's burdens. You see them struggling to carry this weight. You reach over and you grab a handle and you help them carry it. You become involved in their life, involved in them, and you become a part of their fellowship. You get to take part in their lives, and thus they with you. 
in the battlefield the, the soldier beside them they started to slip if they started to struggle they would reach over grab them under the arm pick them up and help them forward to press on you help carry the sick you don't stab the wounded in the back you help the pastor you don't shoot him down you encourage the preaching you don't dissuade it It is often said that the born-again Christians is the only army that shoots their own wounded. And unfortunately, it's true. But let that not be so with us. Let us not be accused of this, of riot or unruly, of sowing discord and schism, being dead in faith and prayer. But let us be the coals in the fire that are red hot that catches others on fire we need to spread the fire of revival spread the joy spread the hope and and, and pretty soon we see we become stokers we stoke the furnaces we stoke the stoves we stoke the fires we stoke the coals we get the fire burning let this be your calling you may not be a preacher. You may not be an evangelist or a missionary. But you're a fellow laborer in the gospel. There's nothing, there is nothing that can excuse you from that. But you can't encourage, you can't comfort, you can't help if you're letting these things get you down. Rejoice in the Lord. A garment of praise is given for the spirit of heaviness. But I will warn you, I will warn you that the moment you start to take the faith seriously, everything that the enemy has, they'll start throwing it at you to try to stop you. Be prepared for that. Prepare for that. Look for that. So when it starts to happen, you start to notice. You start to notice things. Things coming in to get you irritated. Things coming in to get you upset. There's things coming in to get you frustrated. Things coming in to get to get you in a bad mood, to get you off the mark. Rebuke it. Remove yourself from those positions. Get away from that. Watch yourself. Do not let your flesh get the best of you. Do not let others get the best of you, whether flesh or spirit. You stay in the joy of the Lord. If you got nothing nice to say, say nothing. Bite your tongue, walk out of the room, go calm down, call upon the Lord, pray and repent. Get yourself out of the Lord. Stop being a child in the faith. Grow up in the faith. Be a soldier of the Lord. Take the faith seriously. Do not let others get the best of you night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith now god himself and our father and our lord jesus christ direct our way unto you the steps of the lord are ordered by the lord the steps that we take are in the lord ordered by the lord he's our mighty general we his soldiers, we his children, he tells us where to go, what to do, where to stand, what to fight. The shots are called by him, not us. Verse 12, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. As much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. Now we understand it's not possible to be at peace with absolutely everybody. 
some people really test us. It's not possible to be at peace with everyone. That's why the Bible says, as much as life within you. But if there are those around you that make it impossible, what do you do? Leave them. Forsake them. Let them go. Walk away. Brush off the dust of your feet. If they refuse to bring to you the doctrines of the faith, if they refuse to be a part of the faith, if they refuse the Lord Jesus Christ, they refuse to speak those things which become sound doctrine, mark them in a void. Evil communications, corrupt good manners, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. You're not going to influence them. They're going to influence you. So the word of God says. That's what the word of God says. If they refuse to listen, the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. Let your speech be always salted with grace that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Render not evil for evil, speak evil of no man. Shut up and stop chirping back. Stop talking back and being degrading and bad talk and foul mouth. As the word of God says, to put out from you evil speaking. Put out from you vulgarities. Put out from you that foolishness. Grow up. You're a servant of the Most High God, a priest of the temple. Behave like it. Talk like that. Talk like you're a servant of the Lord, a fellow laborer in the faith. You want to present Christ likeness, not yourself. You're dead. You cease to exist. I live, yet not I, but Christ lives through me. That from this point on, I'm supposed to be an example of Christ-likeness. How can I do that if I'm behaving like the world? Walking and talking and working and thinking like the, like a worldling. That my life is all fleshly. Where's the spiritual? It's not a, Walking in the faith is not a part-time job. It's a full-time life. It's not a full-time job. It's a full-time life. That, that even when you're not preaching, you're not teaching, not witnessing, you're still on the job. Whether at home or out in public or wherever else, you are, you're still an example of Christ. You're without excuse. You're never off work. There, there is no clock with which you punch out. You Now you're off time. You do whatever you want. It doesn't happen. The, even in your hobbies, your interests, your home life, your private life, the Lord is still involved, and you're supposed to be still involved with the Lord. Think about that. The Thessalonians understood this. Paul understood this. The early church understood this. Why can't we? What's our excuse? We want to make differences. We want to affect the world. We want the revivals to happen. We want the church to flourish. We want the gospel to, to, to permeate. We want people to turn to the Lord. It's not going to happen if we're not taking the faith seriously. And the sooner we understand that, the better. Part-time Christians are not going to spread revival. Part-time Christians are going to affect nothing. Part-time Christians are going to lead nobody to the Lord. Something to think about. 
We, uh, I was looking at a video yesterday online on YouTube. This fellow talking about why, how he changed his mind about God and that he now believes that there's a God. And he's talking about how he's now uh, considers himself Christian and all of this. And I, I, I'm thinking, oh, that's great. That's awesome. I started listening in and I just got completely discouraged by it. Yeah, he's talking all about, about how he believes in God and all about God, all about God and, and God in this. You need to bring God into that and God into this. You need to be more, more like like what, what God, God's ideas of Christian morals and God's ideas of Christian uh, virtues and values and, and about this and God and God and God and God. And I fast realized... He's no more closer to the Lord than he was before. Because all he's done is he's politicized the idea of God. This is all about quasi-Christian morals, Christian virtues, Christian values. All, all about the, the idea that there is a God. All that, but where was Jesus? There wasn't one single mention of Christ. There wasn't one single mention of the gospel. It was all about the philosophical virtue of believing that there is a God and how that affects your life and your values and your politics. But that's kind of the attitude that most Christians have publicly and the way they behave and the way they talk when they become political Christians activist Christians you ever take a look at the Christians that are that are activists and political activists and all this kind of thing and they're activists against all of the crazy movements that are out in the 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 debaucherous world there's no mention of jesus no mention of the gospel it's just general generic mentions of god and about like god's morals biblical morals but there's no mention of christ or the gospel not one single one of the placards has the gospel on it there's not one single bible verse of how to be saved there's not one single mention of how you to be born again it's just all about about their activism against debauchery, but there's no mention of of what actually changes it, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tell me I'm wrong. It's not enough to say you need to live like there is a God. It's not enough to say that, that there is a God and that you need biblical morals. It's not enough to say these kinds of things. You need to point to what will actually cause this to have an effect, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your witnessing and evangelism and 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 outreach will have absolutely no effect if the gospel itself is not a part of it. Just saying. You can get mad at me all you want. Some do actually. Uh, you can call me out on this and say all kinds of things if you want. Some do actually. But I'm right. Believing in God doesn't save you, doesn't make you a Christian. 
It just makes you no better than the Catholics and the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists and all the rest of them and ecumenicals and charismatics, all the rest of them. It, it doesn't make you an, an actual born-again Christian. You can ascribe to the philosophies and the psychologies and the morals and the virtues and the values all you want. That doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian? Jesus Christ. We need to preach Jesus Christ. We need to witness and evangelize Jesus Christ. We need to help people to, to stop focusing on just the deist view of that there's a God and we need them to open their eyes and see the face of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We need to show them how to be born again. That's what converts the Nebuchadnezzars into saints. The Saul of Tarsus into apostles, the sinners into Christians. The love of Jesus Christ, not just the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ. Verse 12, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. What kind of love? Not religious love, not spiritual love, not just deist love, but the love of Jesus Christ. With the name Jesus Christ. And how they might know and understand the love of Christ. And toward all men. Even as we do toward you. Forgiving one another. Even as Christ has forgiven you. Verse 13. For what purpose? To what end? Verse 13. To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. To establish your hearts unblameable. We talked about to be established, to be established, to be rooted, to be grounded, to be firm-footed, unmovable, established in one position upon the rock that is higher than I, to be unblameable. Unblameable. Well, how can we be unblameable? Like, how is that possible? I'm a, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm cor- corrupted my, with the sin of my flesh and all this stuff. I can't be perfect. can't be sinless. That's not what it's talking about. Unblameable means that you cannot be accused of leaving anything out. That you've done all that you can. You have told them the fullness of the gospel. You have shown them the Lord Jesus Christ. You have done the work that is required. You've reached out the best of your abilities, the best you can, with the fullness of the truth. You've not watered it down. That when they stand before the Lord, they cannot say, I was never told. That when you look to the Lord, say, Lord, I've done all I can. My hands are clean. You're unblameable. I can't blame you for anything. It's now on them. It's now on them. And he may establish your hearts unblameable in what? Holiness. That's the priestly work. The, the work of the priest, the holy work, the holy calling. The work of Christ, the work, the work of our Lord. We're, we're living temples, living priests, disciples of Jesus Christ with the command to go and preach the gospel to all the world. To go and make disciples. To encourage the saints. To rejoice with the angels. To proclaim the glad tidings of great joy. The word of our Lord. 
This is what the Thessalonians understood. And they stood so strong in this. There were such fervent inspirations and encouragements of this that they even encouraged the Apostle Paul to keep going. That's what it says. Paul says, you old youth Thessalonians, because of your example and your fervency in the faith, the fact that you kept going so strong that you encouraged me to keep going. Wait a minute. Does that mean that Paul was discouraged and that the Thessalonians encouraged him to keep going? What, you mean even Paul the Apostle got discouraged? Yes. It's not about, did you get discouraged? Can you get discouraged? It's about how you make a comeback. It's not about how many times you fall. It's about how you get back up. The righteous man falls seven times and rises again. It's about the getting back up. You don't focus on the fall. You focus on how you get back up. You focus on how you get re-encouraged again. It's about how you can get on fire again. How you can take the faith seriously again. How you can pray fervently again. How you can witness the gospel of Christ again. Every day. Every day is a new battle. His mercies are new every morning. And the cares and the troubles and the trials of yesterday have no bearing on today. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. The evils of yesterday have no bearing on today. Well, you don't understand what happened yesterday. So what? That was yesterday. That no longer has bearing on today. This is a new day, new mercies, new trials, new everything. That yesterday was yesterday. Yesterday is not today. One day at a time. The Lord changes everything up. That every day is a new day. Wash, rinse, repeat. New day. It's not, uh, see, a lot, of, a lot of Christians, the way they look at the faith, they look at the Christian life is like a long road. From the moment they get saved, it's a long road, and there's heaven way over there. No. The Christian's road is as long as the day is. And once the day is over, resets. Resets. Resets every, every morning. It's one day at a time. Forgetting the things of the past. Take no thought of the morrow. Sufficient unto the day is evil there. One day at a time. One battle at a time. One focus at a time. One trial at a time. Stop piling up the troubles. Stop piling it up. You're carrying all the weight of all the trials of yesterday. You're carrying all the fears of tomorrow upon all of the tribulations of the moment, of the present. And you've created such an unbearable burden upon yourself that it's just breaking your back and breaking your faith and you're crying to the Lord in such depression and you don't know what to do. The Lord says, drop everything. Drop everything. I carry it all anyways, not you. You're not God. I told you, forget the things of the past. So take everything that's of the past, throw it away. Now, I told you, take no thought of tomorrow. Throw away all your fears of tomorrow. They don't exist. 
I've forgiven and forgotten everything of the past, so should you. I, I told you to stop caring about the future. That's my job, the Lord says, not you. Stop thinking about it. Stop planning. Stop scheming. Stop trying to figure out. I'll care, care about that. Now all, now, all that we have left is the present. Now, what did I tell you about the present? Cast all your care upon me. The only thing that you should be carrying is the word of God. The only burden, the yoke of Christ. The only burden, the only weight, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. All the hope and the promises and the virtue and the righteousness and the peace and the glad tidings and the rejoicing, the praising of the Lord Jesus Christ is what we carry. How can you carry the joy of the Lord if your hands are full of fears and depression and discouragement and cares and frettings and worryings and anxiousness and everything else? How can you carry the gospel of Christ if your arms are so full of yourself? What kind of an effect can you possibly have on this world if, if your back is breaking with the sheer weight of yourself? Did not Jesus say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? You're making a liar out of him. We're making a liar out of him when we take up our own burdens. Because so many Christians say, the Lord said his yoke is easy and his burden is light, but, it, but it's so weighty, it's so heavy, it's so discouraging, it's so depressing, there's so much going wrong, and woe is me, and they turn themselves into little eeyores with black rain storm clouds over their heads everywhere they go, woe is me. I thought he said it was easy. He did. And it is. We're just making liars out of him by taking up our own yokes, of our own burdens, of our own fears, of our own weights. We're walking along up and down the road with Jesus, and we keep picking up rocks, and we keep and we stuff them into our pockets. You know, like little kids, little kids. You never you go for walks with little kids down country roads. You get back to the car, you get back to the house. Their pockets are full of rocks. We do that, except we take this. This yoke, put in our pot, this burden, this burden, this trial, this tribulation, this persecution, this depression, this fear, this fretting, this anxiousness. And pretty soon we are so weighted down with the rocks of this world and of self that we can barely keep up and it makes our steps so heavy we stumble and fall again and again and again. Well, what do we need to do? Empty your pockets. Empty your pockets. Well, you just don't understand what's actually going on. Oh, yeah, I do. Because we're no different. You and I are absolutely no different. The actual details of the issues may be different. But trials are trials nonetheless. And tribulations and struggles and frettings and fears and anxiousness are all the same and weigh the same because we're all the same read romans 7 we're all the same elijah fell into such depression he wanted to die right after mount carmel the great victory he wanted to die 
he gave up. He fell under the tree, says, Lord, just take my life. I'm done. He just wanted to die. And God cheered him up by telling him to have a nap, eat some cake. I love that. I love that so much. God's answer was, have a nap, eat some cake. I love the Lord's humor. But it was right. Have a nap, get some rest, eat some cake. You'll be better. Get back to work. I'll deal with it. But the bread of the word of God is sweet to our taste. It's sweet to our hearts and our bellies. The promises of Jesus Christ are our cake. The victories of Jesus Christ, his goodness, his faithfulness, his righteousness, his holiness, his promise to hold us. He picks us up as his dear children and he wraps the mighty arms of the Father around us and he holds us that tight and he fights for us. He holds us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. This is the sweet, sweet cake of the word of God, sweet to our soul that encourages us to keep up, to keep going, to press forward through the wilderness to Mount Horeb where you speak face to face with the still small voice of God. This is how we keep going. Remember the goodness of Jesus Christ. Stop remembering the foulness of this world, the weakness of the flesh, and, the, and the, the powers of hell. Let go of these things. Stop caring. Stop fretting. Stop being anxious. Cast all your care upon him. Take the faith seriously by taking the Son of God seriously. That when he says something, he means it. If only more saints could understand this. And when we do understand this, and we do truly see this, we hear this, we take this to heart, we truly understand this, watch what it does to your prayers. Watch what it does to your prayer life. Look at what it does. Watch how it makes you call upon him. How it changes your voice. It changes your words. It changes your mind. When you start looking at the Son of God in the fullness of the faith, face, and you, you, you pour your all attention upon him, you stare him squarely in the eyes, and you bow the knee and you worship him, watch what happens. The burdens fall off. Your mind goes quiet. Peace resides. And there's a rejoicing and a praise that he may establish your hearts your hearts your mind may be a buzz but your heart is fixed and firm you listened to the new heart that the Lord has given you the heart that the Spirit of Christ is indwelling the still small voice of the Son of God within you you're rooted and grounded, you're established, that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, with all his saints. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 3. 
So there he goes. I hope this has been a help and a comfort and encouragement to you. I hope you've learned something in this. And if not, at least you've been encouraged and blessed by this and comforted by this. If you appreciate these studies, please give this a like as a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icon so you know we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We get tons of other goodies and content as well. Again, folks, please remember um, I'm not going to be here friday this friday as i mentioned at the beginning of this video so i'm going to be doing a bible study tomorrow thursday same time regular time so please make sure you join in for that and uh but yeah it's a again just want to let you know so you're not wondering what's going on and i don't go live on friday so we're going to be traveling on friday so please be praying for safety for us and all that and uh and for opportunities of witness i'm going to be taking a ton of tracks we're going into the city taking a ton of gospel tracks with me so uh i want to try to hand out as many as i can so i pray for opportunity with that as well um so yeah so again folks we see the example of the thessalonians is the example of lively faith of taking the faith seriously and we can learn so much from them so i hope that this series is an encouragement to you and uh share this around share this video these things around to others to encourage the saints to hold fast and take it to heart yourself as well pray for revival in your own life so there you go so hope this has been a help a comfort and a blessing god bless you folks hope to see you again and as always if i don't see you again god bless you god bless all those who love our lord god jesus christ god bless all those who love his holy word hope to see you again and as always if i don't see you again i'll see you in the sky god bless